Welcome to a special edition of the Eastland Weekend Forecast. We're only a couple more days away from the season coming to an end with the Premier Division Grand Final out of Bayswater Oval. And there were plenty of intriguing Grand Finals that took place uh, last weekend, which we will touch on as well. Let's look ahead to the biggest one of the biggest days on the EFNL calendar. I'm Josh Ward. And I'm joined just by Dylan Smith over the Zoom screen. It's a it's a bit of a quaint podcast crew to to end the season, Dill. But uh, it's great to be alongside you and talking about what a, a a massive weekend ahead and what was a a big one once again last weekend. Yeah, you too, Josh. It's it's pretty intimate, actually, isn't it? Here, just the yeah. two of us logged on, but um, yeah, no, great games all around. We had that obviously amazing grand final on Saturday where. Mitchum prevailed over the undefeated South Belgrave. So that was pretty crazy. And then it looked for a little while on the Sunday, like history was going to repeat itself with Heathmont, the underdog story, but they couldn't do it for the whole four quarters. So in the end, two really fascinating grand finals, and hopefully we have one more to come. I'm sure we will, given who who is playing the top two sides in Premier Division, but we will touch on that later. It's this podcast is basically a mixture of the, the, the weekend recovery and the weekend forecast. We'll, we'll still stick with the weekend for, forecast, but let's take a look back at that second division grand final first up out at Walker Park the day after uh, Mitchum's success and the day and the day after Baronia hosted grand finals. It was the Hawks that got up 15-8-98 to 9-12-66, capping off what was a very dominant season. Their one loss coming by just one point at the hands of Ringwood back, I think, in round seven or six or something like that. It's uh, It was a long time between losses. It still is, but the Hawks were able to cap it off. And there were many stars. Damon Fairchild leading the way as the best on ground or the blue ribbon medalist for the day. There was Mitch Malice getting a heap of touches. Josh Begley with the three goals. Ben Robertson up forward with four. For Heathmont, there were plenty of stars still, but... You were at this game. I was uh, on other duties, but what you make of it? it from just looking from the outside, it looked like it was just a ten-minute patch in that third quarter where Baronia played the style that they enjoy playing and were able to run over the top of Heathmont. Yeah, Heathmont really brought the pressure in this game. They they didn't do a lot wrong, and they're going to be super. I think when they look back on this after the disappointment of actually losing the game. They'll understand that they put in a really good performance. The pressure was there. The turnover game was there as well. But I think Baronia in the end just had a little bit too much star quality. And as we've said in on multiple platforms this year, that those really, really high-end teams, they can just put you away in one quarter. And that's exactly what happened here. I think if Heathmont look back, they'll probably see that second quarter as the one that got away a little bit. So Baronia, there was just a period in that second quarter where Baronia went to sleep. Heathmont got on top a little bit in the clearance, which was probably the only time in the actual day they got on top in the clearance. They also had the pressure on the ball carrier. So pressure stats were plus 17 to the Jets. They had the territory battle um, 13 inside 50s to nine. And over that period in the second quarter, they only kicked two goals, three to three goals, one. Mm -hmm. And I think that was the period where they probably could have opened up a little bit of a margin, even if it was only two or three goals and put some more scoreboard pressure on Baronia. Then Baronia come out in that third quarter and I think there was probably five minutes where the Jets just held those gun players and then they just went bang. And it was, you know, it was the likes of Mitch Mellis, Josh Begley, Hannon. I thought Jaden Collins had a fantastic first half. I thought 
If you had done the medal at halftime, Collins definitely would have got it. He had 26 touches, 10 contested possession, two clearances. He was fantastic, and he was doing a lot of intercept work as well. Um, in the end, it was, yeah, it was just blown open in that third quarter. Heathmont tried to fight back a little bit in the last, but it just got the scoreboard got away from them too much, and Baronia were just able to sort of play the scoreboard in that last quarter. And that was the day in the end, really. And I think, yeah, that, that second quarter, I think they'll probably rule a few chances in that one. But overall, I think this one played out how we expected. You talked about Baronia, the fact that they lost one game for the season, but they were really up there with those undefeated sides like a yeah. um, like a South Belgrave and Donvale or the other one. who They weren't undefeated, obviously, but just lost the one game. Baronia were probably the strongest of all of those teams, really. Yeah, they were. There's, well, Donvale... And South Belgrave, they don't have really any weakness, but you look at Baronia each and every week. That it, I feel sorry for Matt Clark or whoever has to name the best just because they're, they're always getting consistent performances. And obviously you got those players that can just take it up and not notch the play at another level, such as, you know, Malice, who had 32 touches in the end. Uh, Jared, Lake, Jared Lake as well, another Team of the Year appearance and a goal even on grand final day, which is which definitely shocked me in that third quarter. Uh, Damon Fairchild is uh, uh, Damon Fairchild. He's probably in that middle range, but he proved he can be a, a definite star. But also Max Brasher and Josh Beakley, who have come across. Uh, Jaden Collins is a, is a superstar. As is Harry Burgess. So just those they've got such great contributors all across the park. Is there's no there's no weakness, and they're playing like a Division One club at the moment. Yeah, hundred percent. I actually I got a question to throw to you, Josh. Um, do you think they got the medal right in this game? Oh, I mean, just from the outside, I, I can understand picking Fairchild just because that influence he had going into midfield, it it was still big, ha- having that bigger body. But uh, I, I hate to say it, I, I thought Mitch Malice just, I thought it was his first half, but from what I've been hearing, his second half was also good. And it was just this entire game that was absolutely phenomenal. He was at another level. As I mentioned, 32 disposals, 19 contested possessions. I I, I feel like he should have got he should have gone the best on ground. Not disrespecting Damon Fairchild. I thought his game was magnificent. It was great. Oh, no, it's it's more about how well Mellis played, not that yeah. Damon Fairchild played badly. I mean, all their stars played well. But Mitch Mellis, he's just that perfect player isn't he like he's a he's highly skilled he's fast and he's also like the junkyard dog like he's the guy that gets in does the in and under work as well he just just does everything he's a freak he can pick up the scraps too like he was i think yeah times where he was throwing down back for a little bit as a as like a somewhat of a quarterback or as intercepting he can he can do it all he's he's the best player in division two i reckon or you know, some might say there's others, but Mitch Mellis is just when he's on his game, he's at another level. He's it, it, he's got that top level experience. He's a former Eastern Ranger, best and fairest, and has played you know with Vermont, with with Williamstown in the VFL. He's just that experience all, alongside Josh Begley. It, it's taken Borneo to another level. It's um, yeah, he's a once in a generation talent. Or I shouldn't say that he's he's just a superstar of the division, and I feel like Baronia are grateful that they have they have someone of his quality on that list. From a Heathmont side of things, I thought 
Campbell Evans in Ruck was absolutely immense once again. Mullinger McHugh had his moments, but Evans just shouldering that Ruck load, put in a, an absolute workload. Jordan Haynes, I also thought, was pretty solid. Liam Malone up forward was a, a pretty good target, but you know when you when you're getting no impact from Finn Brown, when you get when you're pushing him up into centre wing, when his normal habitat is that forward line, it's you're not you know you're gonna just have that one period where where Heath Barone get on top, but it just shows the effort that. Heathmont put in and shows that they're obviously not just relying on Finn Brown in that forward line. Oh yeah. And that um, the kudos to all of those forwards in that, you know, forward six or whatever it is that um, just the pressure that they put on Baronia, the the press was just up there and it was ferocious all the time. And that meant that players like, I think Harry Isaacs had a really good game just intercepting basically from that pressure that was being applied to Baronia. They tried to go for that long kick out and, Harry Isaacs was sort of under everything. Um, I thought Chris Colombo had a really good game, tried hard. He, he got injured in the last quarter. I think it was a, a reoccurring hamstring injury. So best of luck to him with that. But yeah, he had a really good game. Um, Bray Own, he was really good in, in the forward half, especially when they were trying to fight back in that last quarter as well. So they can absolutely hold their their heads high. And just the the luxury that Baronia have to, you know, when when it was a struggle in that first half to be able to put some of those gun players, like just move a Josh Begley into the midfield and, and try to win you the game. Like it's, yeah, it's so hard for Heathmont. It's a luxury. It, it genuinely is a luxury. And uh, I think that's one thing that Matt Clark has always mentioned whenever we've chatted with him on pregame, just having that versatility, that flexibility to move players around it. It's just... It's so so it's so handy and uh, it's only going to hold them in good stead in 2024. Let's have a look at the Division One Grand Final, which was the first Grand Final that took place last weekend at Tormor Reserve. And as you mentioned, Dill, off the top, it was an absolute classic, the closest Grand Final of all four so far, and it was Mitchum pulling off a massive upset, knocking off. The previously undefeated Saints, 8-10-58 to 8-5-53. We were both at this game, Dill. And, well, I feel like the margin doesn't reflect how, how good Mitchum were, particularly that second half. They they were trying everything to keep South Belgrave in this contest, weren't they? Oh, yeah, they definitely missed some opportunities in that final term especially. But... I I, feel, I saw this game, I don't know if I saw it the same as everyone else. I saw it as a tale, definitely a tale of two halves. So I, I definitely thought South Belgrave were the better team for the first half, particularly the first quarter. Mm. And I mentioned it like numerous times on the, I was on boundary that day and I was talking about how Mitchum were doing all their scoring from stoppage and South Belgrave were doing all their, um, all their scoring from turnover. And that's sort of how the, those two teams have played all season. So they were just sort of playing, both playing to their strengths. When I got into the halftime, um, on the halftime show, I sort of said that, that that sort of profile that South Belgrave were playing was going to be more sustainable because, you know, the game's going to sort of congest up and, and then Mitchum aren't going to be able to get those um, those opportunities to score from, from stoppage like that because it is a little bit more difficult to score. But they just, like, it was just a big struggle this game for the first half and then Mitchum were able to just sort of break free in that third quarter. Like, I, I just wanted to um, share some of the stats throughout the game. So Mitchum won the clearances in every quarter. So that was just a constant throughout the game. But quarter one, so South Belgrave, they're plus eight in contested possession. They've laid seven more effective tackles. 
They've created eight more turnovers. They're plus nine for inside 50s and plus two for marks inside 50. So definitely they had the better of that first quarter. Then you fast forward, um, it's still mentioned plus six in clearance, as you'd expect. But then it goes to minus four for South Belgrave in contested possession. So Mitchum is starting to wrestle a little bit of control back in that second quarter. Um, Mitchum were plus four in tackles as well, but South Belgrave had still, they were still winning the turnover game. So plus three in turnovers, plus six in inside 50. So they had the territory and plus two for marks inside 50. So they probably still had the better opportunities, but Mitchum were able to hit them on those four and a half clearances when they got them. In the third quarter, that's when it really started to turn in Mitchum's favor. They go plus four in contested possession, plus four for turnovers. So that's the first quarter where they actually started to win the turnover game plus seven for inside 50. So they've got territory on their side. And that was when they scored their first goal from turnover, Mitchum. You go to the fourth quarter, they're plus four again in contested possession. They're plus three from the turnover. So they've still got that control of the turnover game. And that quarter, they kicked two goals, three from turnover in that last quarter. And I I just see that as a difference of being able to, you had a clearance versus a, a turnover game and Mitchum being able to wrestle control of that turnover game in their favor. I think that won them the game in the end. I, there was a couple of little things for South Belgrave. Like I think Silver, his injury that was he was getting managed with throughout the game was probably a, a big part yeah. of that, that they weren't able to um, be as effective from that source. But yeah, credit to Mitchum for how they were able to stay in this game when South Belgrave were probably the more dominant team and then just hit them. Yeah, I I thought when South Belgrave, and I think it was Taylor Garner that kicked that first goal of the third term, I just thought, oh, this is where the Saints break the game open just because they started to get on a run. But, yeah, that turnover game that Mitchum created, I, I was very surprised. And I would have thought it might start to open up, which maybe would have, if it was more clear in space, it would have favoured Mitchum with that style of play they like to ha- have from from defence. But you got to give credit to Neil Winterton. He put on a, a coaching masterclass, another coaching masterclass into how to, to stop South Belgrave. And I think that's, and I think part of the reason why South Belgrave struggled, they, they only really could get goals from, from Tim Smith and Taylor Garner, you know, obviously there are the forwards like, you know, your, your Bryce Hyde, your, your Daniel Wines, they, they looked lively, but they didn't get on the score sheet. And I think that's it's, what- it, it's actually crazy, Josh, isn't it? Cause it actually became too easy to defend the fact that they only had those two sources. They've been this amazing, potent forward line all season. And then, and Mitchum, I, I kept talking about it in the pregame too. I was saying that their back six are ranked eighth once the ball goes inside 50. So they're not very good at stopping teams from scoring. Yeah. But they, like, you've, again, got to give them credit here. Like, they probably deserve the biggest shout out of any line in the Mitchum team. So, like I said, eighth in the division at defending entries. Um they conceded 64 points per game. And that was on the basis of conceding 42 entries a game on average throughout the season. So they would usually give 64 points for their 42 entries. In this game, they conceded 49 entries. So that's seven more than they usually concede. And they only conceded 53 points against the best attack in the league. So their defense, like, take a bow. Yeah, you got to give it credit. I think it's it's really clicked into gear that defense the the last two weeks against Montrose, where they were able to to get them on that rebound game and hold it up really well. And I thought because Montrose were missing players, maybe that that helps a little bit, particularly Michael Schwab. But just yeah, the the defense it's showing that it's a really strong one. You know, with the likes of 
Jackson Glossop, Daniel Daniel Huex, uh, Josh May as well, who I thought was Mitchum's best defender. Just one on one and intercepting, did a, did oh, a fantastic yeah. job. Uh, Josh Devallon as well, as well in and under and rebounding was also really good. They're just they're they're not the most recognised name just because of the midfield and the forward line firepower for Mitchum, but they they deserve so so much credit for keeping for somewhat keeping Mitchum alive, but. Let's just touch on South Belgrave. It's it's such a disappointing way to to not only in a season which has been terrific, their first in Division One, but to end Luke Galliott's tenure and, and very surprising as well. Just because I thought, as I mentioned, I thought that third quarter they cl- they could click into gear or somehow they they click into gear. They they just didn't. Yeah, and it like you said in Luke Galliott's last game, like it would have been <laughs> cathartic for them to to go out with the premiership win, but it was almost, yeah, cathartic in a different sense for, for Mitchum. Uh, yeah. It's, it's hard, it's hard to believe you get, get to see a team go through undefeated like that and, and then get knocked off in the biggest game. I think what we're talking about in, in the pregame and during the week and, and, and looking at the numbers for them, they, they probably weren't, they were the undefeated team, but they probably weren't, the gap between them and the next best team in this division probably wasn't as big as some of the other ones. So they, they probably were the most susceptible. And I, I think the way you have to look at this is not that, um, you know, they've, they've bottled it in the grand final. I think you have to give them credit for winning those games during the season to go undefeated and to keep backing it up every week when, you know, it's local footy, you've got injuries, you've got player unavailability and stuff like that. And they just kept coming back and winning. And I think, you've got to look at it glass half full and that, and and just the fact that they were able to get to another premiership after going up into division one, it's a phenomenal effort. So we've got to look at the positives. I think, yeah, I think there's plenty of positives and there's plenty of, it's a bright future as well with the, the 19s and the reserves all making grand finals, but you do have to give them. Yeah. It's a tremendous season. It, 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 we, we keep saying it, but it really is even with the loss this week at this past weekend. And, to only lose to to just two clubs in the last two years in Mitchum and Mulgrave. And again, I'll, I'll keep saying it. I'm still baffled as to how Mulgrave last year defeated South Belgrave twice. Then, <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's a remarkable effort. Maybe Mitchum uh, called do, up the. Do you know old- what's Josh? Do you know what's actually really interesting about that? Yeah. Um. When you when you dig into the numbers of the the Div Two teams. Mulgrave have a really similar profile to Mitchum. So they're really good at contested footy and they're really good at clearance. They don't they don't play that turnover game all that well. And they're they're just really good at the contest. And you know, that's that's interesting that you said that. I didn't know they'd lost to Mulgrave. Maybe maybe that's a bit of that maybe maybe that could potentially be a factor that teams that enjoy stock scoring from clearances uh uh, bit, have married South Belgrave a bit more susceptible, but I don't know. Maybe I was think I was thinking as well. Mitchum New Winterton called up the old Mulgrave coach Ryan Webster from last year. Last year, and I don't know. Maybe asked him to to how to defeat South uh, South Belgrave. But huh. let, let's touch on 
Premier Division, and let's touch on that preliminary final quickly. Uh, Vermont booking their spot in the grand final, defeating Doncaster East by five goals, 13-7-85 to 8-7-55. We'll just touch briefly on uh, Doncaster East and go on through the goal kickers and the best. Daniel Nielsen with five. Connor McCafferty, uh, best on ground. The captain leading from the front will be key for them this weekend. Tom Balmack-Hoskin with two each, and Simon White, another magnificent performance. But, I mean... It's still a great effort from Doncaster East to have gone this far to have played not their first game, but their first ever final out of base, whatever, at the Premier Division level. And it's a it's a terrific effort. At the start of the final series, I was thinking they'd probably... I tipped East Ringwood in that first elimination final, and I thought even if they passed East Ringwood, they wouldn't pass Bourne. But to, their, to Ryan Jones and Doncaster East's credit, Credit they they put together a really good final series, another good one, and uh, there's something to build on in 2024. Yeah, hundred percent. They had a nice little nice little finals run, and um, got I think particularly they got their best players really firing in that in that mm. back half of the season. So that's really promising for them. I think in the end though, here their inability to defend the clearance really caught up with them. That's where I thought they were going to get smacked by Bowen. Bowen didn't do do it to them, and they were able to sort of uh, keep the ball off Bowen and, and play that um, sort of pick through Bowen zone really nicely. But here, so they went plus five from the clearance. So they actually won clearances in this game, but they were outscored by Vermont 32 to eight from clearance, in particular 13 to zero from center bounce. So it's not necessarily that they're terrible at clearance per se, but they don't defend it very well. Um, and then you look at the fact that, you know, when you've got a team like Vermont, they're really good at winning the ball back off you. Like they like to press up on their defense. They play that really good team defense. So, you know, Vermont locked the ball in their forward half pretty much the entire first half. They were plus 12 inside 50s across the game. And Doncaster East, they had a couple of times where they were able to hit Vermont on the counter as they, you know, from their back half transition the ball. They actually kicked the first goal of the game that way. And you thought, oh, maybe they could, maybe they could do this, but... The fact that the ball was just locked in Vermont's half all the time, when, when we talk about those clearances, so you can be bad at clearance if you've got territory, right? Because then you're going to be losing the clearance in your back half. But if the ball's locked in your defensive half for the entire game and then you lose clearance, the other team's going to score. And that's basically what's happened here. So they've won, they've won more clearances than Vermont, but the fact that the ball is in their defensive half the entire game means that every time they're turning it over, every time they lose a clearance, Vermont have an opportunity to score. And I think that's pretty much the game here. Yeah. And I think I saw before Josh DeLuca, a magnificent game with 34 disposals and a lot of clearances, contested possessions. So maybe they were being a bit ineffective. But when you've got a, a midfield that, that I feel like prefers to attack more rather than defend, no offence to the Doncaster East midfield, I think it's supremely talented. I just, I think oh, that could is, yeah. Yeah, I... I think that could have proven to be a bit of a difference, but uh, still a terrific season from the Lions. Let's touch on Vermont now because we will talk about the Premier Division Grand Final, Vermont up against Roval or Roval up against Vermont, the the third edition of 2023 of the, well, I'm going with the Baird Brasher Cup now. I know that'll please <laughs> Ray Baird there, but um, just touching on Vermont first up, Dill, it's, we were down at both clubs last night and they seem pretty excited and up and about 
for this for this massive occasion and why not after after last year when they obviously had a disappointing season by their very lofty standards and to be back on the biggest occasion of them all it's um with a very young side it's it's a terrific effort Oh, it's fantastic. I love the fact that these two sides have made the grand final too with their that youth that they've got and and the speed, the way that they play and, and those sorts of things. It's really exciting. And also the fact that they're two, you know, like massively supported clubs. So we, um, you know, as a media team, like watching the games and as fans watching the game, you just, you feel that atmosphere more when it is a team like, like a Vermont, you know, they're sort of, mm. as I've been told a lot of times, it's sort of like the Collingwood of... Um, of the EFNL. So it's always nice to um, have a team like that in the game. And, and the opposition always wants to knock off a team like that too. And the fact that Roeville were there last year against Noble Park, that sort of adds another layer to the story. So I'm, yeah, I'm super excited for this. And another massive bonus about the game is the fact that there's really no favorite, you know, oh. Vermont finished on top Roeville um, won that, qualifying final to, to give them you know pole position for the grand final so and it was a one-point game so we've got they've played twice this year Vermont 1-1 Roeville 1-1 and they're both in really good form I just yeah it's it's flip of a coin it is it is genuinely flip of a coin it's it's quite remarkable unlike last year where Roeville they heading into the game only two losses for the season they defeated Noble Park four times but now it's it's genuinely 50-50, and and unlike last year, it's it's forecasted. We cannot emphasise this enough. It's <laughs> forecasted to be absolutely picture perfect conditions. Just looking at the weather uh, on a Wednesday night when the while well, the Chandler Medal is taking place, twenty four degrees the maximum, and only getting down to ten with with a bit of wind, but it's still it's the perfect day for footy. It, it really is the perfect day for footy, and. For, for both clubs, the sides, they'll really enjoy just given how young, how how exciting they can be. Yeah, and that's like everyone's been telling me um, that this dry weather, you know, it's a really big positive for Roeville because <laughs> they play, they've got these like outside runners and stuff like that. But, you know, we were down at Vermont last night and we, we said, you know, do you think that's going to play into their advantage? And they said, you know, we want it to be dry as well because we play, you know, we think we've got a similar outside game as well. So... Uh, fascinating. I I think um, as far as the gameplay in this one, I think a really big component of this game. I, I watched okay during the week. I watched back a little bit of the um, is it the prelim final that they played in, or was it semi final? Uh, second semi final, both Se- played. Yeah, second semi. Okay, so I watched that final back, and um, you know, Roville's outside run was very apparent, and and their ball use was very apparent. But also what was apparent was Vermont's, um, I guess, their defensive system and the way that they like the ball to be moving, whether it's in offense or defense, they like the ball to be in a transitory stage all the time. They don't like it when the other team firstly keeps the ball off them and can get those uncontested marks going. You compare the two results between the two teams this year and the first one, Vermont controlled the footy. And in the second one, mm. Roeville controlled the footy. So that the uncontested marks were up like plus 35 to Roeville in this game. That's something that Vermont are definitely going to want to stop. Um, also the inside 50s this time to Roeville. So they were able to take the territory. But Vermont looked super, super dangerous when they were able to 
um, create that turnover when the ball was in motion. And obviously, Roeville, the way that they play, they like to keep the ball in motion as well. So it's sort of too... Um, I, I just genuinely think whichever one of these teams implements their game plan on the grand final day, mm-hmm. which is whether that's, you know, Vermont sort of sitting back, letting Roeville take the ball and then getting it back off them and, and getting it back off them in an advantageous position, sort of in that forward half area and being able to hit them really fast and get it down to the likes of a, a Kalkovsky or, a, you know, Nielsen who now's popped up with five goals in the, the prelim as well. And for Roeville, I think if their ball use is really good and they, you know, they're going to come out of the clearance probably on top and get that run going on the outside, if they can get their ball use, um, you know, use exemplary ball use inside 50, I think they're probably going to be too good for Vermont. Yeah, and I think whoever settles down quickest as well, it's going to hold them in good stead. So that way they'll be able to implement that game style because it is a big occasion and I feel like... Rival with that familiarity on the biggest stage of them all and with Bayswater Oval as well, it it could hold them in good stead. Let's go with the all-important Is that your your tip? Yeah, that's my tip. My margin, I'm going to go... I'm going to go eight... I'm going to go with five points, Rival's way. We'll go with the best on ground too. We're into the tips now already. I'm going to say Anthony Brolick for my best on ground. What about yourself, Dill? Hate to put you on the spot. No, no, I'm I'm keen for it. So I made that talk about how, you know, one, whichever team gets it on their terms. I think the fact that Rove will have to rely on, on good ball use and that outside run, I don't like that as much in a grand final. So I like the sort of, team defense, heavy pressure, you know, win the ball, get it down to Kalkowski and, and Nielsen. I sort of like that system better in a grand final. So I'm going to go with Vermont. I've, I've backed them all season. I've, I've liked the way that they've, you know, shot up the ladder from last year and, and bounced back. So I'm going to go Vermont 26 points. And I'm a oh, best player, Kalkowski. Yeah, fair enough. Six when we last saw him against Roval, so I'm sure they want to light it up. Uh, I, yeah. I wouldn't mind it if he did. But um, well, that does us for this special edition and the final edition of the Eastland. Wait, weekend. Josh, are we are we doing are we doing our uh, tips for the Chandler? Yeah, let's do our tips for the Chandler, which is well, we're recording and the Chandler medal is taking place at the moment. My tip, I'm going with James Belo. Who are you going to go with, Dill? Uh, I'm going to go, we talked about this last night a little bit. <laughs> I, my first thought was Kilpatrick, but he probably hasn't had enough wins in that team. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to, I'm going to go smoky and go Lockie Johns, Vermont, Ooh. even though he has, he, I know he's missed a few games this season, but I reckon that's, he's had a really good year. That's a good call. We'll wait and see. Because obviously the podcast will be released after this, but um, we'll wait and see. Dill, I'm sorry, this, uh, we're, we're going to have to end it. But thank you for jumping on once again. Thanks, mate. Thanks, mate. No, I really appreciate it, and yeah, love doing the podcast with you all season in, in both the men's and the women's. It's been a great year, and um, yeah, just looking forward to this grand final so much at the weekend. Looking forward to it too, and thank you for all that have tuned in for the entire season on the D- on the Eastland Weekend Forecast.